welcome to the show that used to be called Why Therapy. My name is Matt Shedd. I am changing the name of the show to Finding Help, Mental Health, Therapy, and Recovery. The reason I'm doing this is because I want to broaden the pool of people that I talk to. I want to continue talking to licensed clinicians, of course, but I also want to talk to other helping professionals. And I also want to talk to people who've reached out and found help, whether it's through therapy, recovery programs, treatment centers, or wherever it may be. Today I wanted to do something a little bit different and just talk about an idea that I've been thinking about, the nonviolent heart of habit change. And in doing this, I've been thinking about this and drawing from three different kind of areas and intersections, what I see as an intersection um, in three different traditions, one being the tradition of nonviolent direct action and all the thinkers and activists that have come out of that tradition, the other being the recovery tradition, 12-step tradition, um, and the practices that have emerged out of that, and then the other being kind of more contemporary research from uh, therapists looking at mindfulness and habit change. Specifically, the book I've been reading recently has been Unwinding Anxiety by Judson Brewer, who's a psychiatrist. And I see a lot of lines of intersectionality between these three traditions and might be able to, to be helpful in thinking about habit change or letting go of addictions. And, and then also um, societal change and how those intersect and in some ways the most effective change doesn't counterintuitively doesn't involve gritting our teeth and forcing change through but rather nonviolently opening up being mindful seeing what's there and allowing for something else to emerge i guess i started thinking about this in relation to 12 step spirituality a long time ago when i came across the line in the big book in the section describing step 10 where it says and we have ceased fighting anything or anyone even alcohol it's a really famous sentence that gets quoted a lot in 12 step fellowships um so that phrase we have ceased fighting anything or anyone even alcohol made me think of the 12 steps as a disarmament process so in the course of addiction, a person um, has become used to taking all sorts of actions, which I think, in, in my opinion, can be viewed as violent. I see addiction more or less as a process characterized by nearly constant violence. And of course, in the later stages, this, this can actually be physical violence, like harming other people physically or, or oneself physically. A lot of times that's where addiction leads to, whether it's chemical or behavioral addiction. Um, but when I'm using the term here, I'm also using it to include more subtle forms of violence. Um, all the little ways uh, that a person can kind of coerce or manipulate or cajole the people around them, circumstances around them, um, or even themselves, their own feeling states, um, and not accept things as they are. These are the little habits, uh, the little 
little acts of, of violence, if, if we're using that term kind of broadly, that eventually lead to addiction, which um, kind of becomes a reliable way of changing one's internal feeling states to rather than just accepting things as, as they are, even if they're, even if we don't like them. So I, I see the steps, the 12 steps as a series of actions that somebody can, is invited to take. It's always invited. It's never coerced or forced into taking them, but there's an, there's an invitation for a person to take a series of actions where they have an opportunity through to kind of look at their their current situation and their past, examine um, not only the addiction, um, but also all the other habits and attitudes and ideas about life that have gone along with that addiction. And the person has an opportunity to look at them non-judgmentally and through the inventory process and to see if they're working or if they're not. And so in a, in a sense, it's an opportunity to look at defense mechanisms that one has developed over the course of one's life, evaluate with the help of another person and a community which ones are, are helpful and which ones are serving the person and which ones are unhealthy and, and not serving the person. Um, and, and through this process, the person gets to move away from habits like resentment, isolation, judgment, unrealistic fears to a more open and healthy place of connection, community, the kind of things that we're wired to participate in as human beings. And and the person becomes open to something bigger than themselves. Some Sometimes people define that as God. Sometimes they just define it as the fellowship or the community that they're participating in. But the the important thing is that they get out of the harmful habits that keep them locked in self-destructive behavior in which they're just hurting themselves and the people around them. So by the time that a person gets to step 10, they have looked at all these things, not only the addiction, but also all the other um, self-sabotaging ineffective defense mechanisms, look at them non-judgmentally, evaluate whether they're working or not, and ask for help uh, letting go of the ones that aren't working. And so that's why by the time one gets to step 10, the book says confidently, and we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol, all those ideas and habits and judgments about the world that we're driving this kind of constant state of struggle have been laid aside. And in that process, one becomes open to completely accepting oneself, the people around him or her, and even the world as it is. Um, that doesn't mean that she or he necessarily approves or, or, or likes all those things, but is willing to accept it. And I think when we really get down to the roots of it, a lot of this um, violence and struggle that that's that facilitates and is perpetuated by addiction starts with an inability for one to accept oneself and i think the most common way that this shows up is shame which is this fundamental persistent belief 
that there is something wrong with oneself. As Brene Brown has famously described it, not that one did something wrong, but there is something fundamentally flawed about my character. Um, that's the difference between guilt and shame. And guilt can be productive, um, thinking that one did something wrong uh, or did something against one's values. But shame, this idea of fundamentally being fundamentally flawed or broken, um, facilitates this lack of acceptance of oneself, one's internal feeling states, and then consequently a kind of constant desire to manipulate or change uh, circumstances and people as well. So I think the 12 steps are uniquely effective um, and certainly not the only way, but are uniquely effective to getting to facilitating the process of accepting oneself because it requires the help of a community um, and specifically a sponsor who sees a person um, as they are and accepts them. Um, and that's something that you can't read about or think about on your own and get to. It's an emotional experience that requires risk that involves another person. So in essence, these, these 12 steps, in my view, these are steps that lead a person through a disarmament process, a laying down of one's weapons, um, defense mechanisms that used to be functional, perhaps at one point, but are no longer functional. And this, this relates to Judson Brewer and um, his book, Unwinding Anxiety, and, and the kind of the science of habit change that he lays out there. It's that we get locked into these habit loops um, where we continue behaviors that perhaps served us at one point um, because our mind latches onto that, um, kind of like um, a slot machine where if you if you won one time or people win just enough times or you see people in the casino win just enough times that despite the fact that on the whole people are losing money, they continue to play because the emotional response to that surprise of of something of, of, a, of a good reward continues to stick with the person. So despite all evidence to the contrary that something is working, our minds continue to latch on to a memory of good result. So Judson Brewer in his book talks about these habit loops that we get locked into where we continue to participate in behaviors that produce negative results for us because there's a memory somewhere in our brain of a time that it worked. And he makes the argument that that he doesn't even, he believes that there's no such thing as willpower, that that everything's conditioning. And so really the only way out of these negative habit loops is to be, to pay attention, to be mindful of the sensation that leads us to the behavior, what happens when we take the behavior and what happens afterwards and to be open and, and, and present with, with one's bodily sensations and thoughts throughout that process. And then through that, we start to see better. And once we see better, we know better. And once we know better, we can, we can do something different, not because we forced it through, but because we can see the whole process playing out more clearly. 
So again, I, I see a real nonviolent kind of approach here as well, um, where a person doesn't force through the change that they want to see, but becomes open to just being aware of how things are working currently. I'll just say this really briefly, that um, Gandhi uh, would use the word, and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this correctly, satyagraha, um, rather than nonviolence. That was the, the word that emerged um, out of uh, their struggle with, with the British Empire for freedom. And the, it's something, you know, it, it's translated as nonviolence, but um, it's actually something more substantial than that. It's a connection to truth, uh, but roughly translated as truth force, but the, the literal translation is holding fast to truth. So I think what, what we see in the 12-step process or, or the process of being mindful of our negative habits and patterns that we, we so easily get locked into kind of mindlessly when we open up and are awake and aware of those processes, we start to wake up, and we we see the we see things as they are. We we see truth. We participate in that satyagraha that that Gandhi was talking about, which isn't just the absence of violence or the absence of coercion, but it's it's something positive. It's it's not just the absence of something negative. It's connecting to a power that helps carry one through um, difficulties and helps one to deal with life on life's terms. So to, to kind of sew this up, uh, for now at least, it's something I'm going to keep coming back to, I think, because it's kind of at the heart of, of what all these things that I'm reading and thinking about keep taking me to. But to kind of sew this up for now... Um, I wanted to close with a quote from Martin Luther King. This particular quote came from this last speech that he gave um, the night before he was assassinated. And the quote is, Men for years now have been talking about war and peace, but now no longer can they just talk about it. It is no longer a choice between violence and nonviolence in this world. It's nonviolence or non-existence. That is where we are today. I think that's a powerful quote. Um, he's talking on a societal level. As I've been trying to lay out in this this podcast, I think these ideas are transferable from the individual to the family to the societal level. And I think the person in recovery from substance abuse can relate to this this proposition. It's not a choice between violence and nonviolence. It's nonviolence or non-existence. Well, that's it for this episode, and uh, in future episodes, I'm also going to interview um, people in recovery, people who've gone through therapy, um, just to get a broader sense of not just the helpers, but, but people who have been helped, because I think all of us have experienced being helpers and the helped, and maybe both at the same time. For more information about my work or to reach out directly to me, you can find me at mattshed.com. That's M-A-T-T-S-H-E-D-D.com. And you can also reach out to me on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram at mattshed, M-A-T-T-S-H-E-D-D. 
Thanks so much for joining us, and we're already looking forward to next time.